What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the Locked On Phillies podcast. My name is Dan Wilson, and on today's episode, part one of my two-part conversation with Joe Giglio. You likely know Joe from being the evening show host at 94WIP here in Philadelphia. He also is a sports writer for NJ.com, does a lot of great work, huge baseball fan, obviously. And we discussed a number of things from it being the Phillies' tender deadline day moves and also other moves around baseball that could affect the Phillies, whether it be the JT Romuto situation, not offering a qualifying offer to Didi Gregorius, where this team is headed into 2021 as Major League Baseball treks through a COVID-altered offseason. So I present to you my conversation with Joe Giglio. Joining us on today's episode of Locked on Phillies, it's the evening host from 94WIP here in Philadelphia. You also know his work from NJ.com. Joining us today, Joe Giglio. Joe, how's it going? Dan, uh, I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing all right. So lots to talk about with this Phillies team right now. You're, I'm sure we'll, we'll start right off the bat with the news from earlier in the week. I'm sure you're very excited about the return of Vince Velasquez. Oh, I can't wait, especially doing uh, post game on WIP after the game. Because when Vince starts, I, I know I'm locked in for a four hour game. So, yeah, I, I can't wait for 2020, Vince, 2021 Vince Velasquez. I, I'm all, all fired up, as you can tell. Yeah, Vince Velasquez might be the leading reason why you get to spend less time with your wife and kids because you're there at the station all night. I mean, it's really unfortunate and get less sleep. It's really just unfortunate all around. Yeah, it is. Um, Actually, I I like Vince. You know, I I root for Vince, but um, yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. But yeah, this is what the Phillies are doing. And and Vince, Vince's era in Philadelphia continues. That's for sure. Now, a few other guys, not a bunch of huge surprises. They did officially bring back Hector Neris yesterday. Zach Eflin, who based upon the fact that they're bringing Velasquez at the end of the rotation should be no surprise. He, I think, will be locked down as the third starter at this point, were you surprised by any of the moves either within the Phillies or around baseball yesterday as the tender deadline hit uh, at eight o'clock? Yeah. Velasquez was surprising. Um, the fact that they brought him back and it really, it kind of, it's a tell Dan that they're not going to spend money on the rotation. I feel like they're I mean, to pay him four or 5 million. It feels like they'd rather do that than, you know, pay someone better eight or nine, like Robbie Ray got eight true uh, smiley, obviously, you know, here in Philadelphia a couple of years ago and, Pitched very well for the Giants last year in, in limited innings. He got 11 from the Braves. Charlie Morton got 15. It feels like it's a signal to me that they're not going to spend uh, in that area, that they're comfortable. And maybe Caleb Cotton, the new uh, pitching coach, thinks he can get more out of Velasquez. But I wouldn't expect, um, you know, another significant starter. That, that's what the Velasquez thing told me. Hey, that told me essentially the same thing. Now, in terms of the remaining news that's coming out this offseason I still would hope that they look at some other spot or other rotational starter that they can get a in case you have an injury here b I'm looking at this rotation right now you have Nola Wheeler Eflin at the top and then you're going to have Velasquez but still who's that fifth guy beyond that are you looking at someone like Spencer Howard who obviously had a disappointing 2020 are you looking down the line to someone like Ranger Suarez, Adonis Medina. You don't fully know what the rotation is going to look like. I would have liked for them to go after a few of the guys they mentioned, whether it be Robbie Ray, bring back Charlie Morton, bring back Drew Smiley. They elected to do none of that. I read the same thing in terms of them not spending money. So there's that on the table. And then, of course, what is the news that we've seen with regards to them not spending money? And now it looks like the Mets might uh, really be interested in James McCann. What does this mean for the JT Real Muto chase? 
Yeah, well, the, the first part, I, I'm with you. I, I think they're leaving the rotation thin. Now, we'll see what they do. I mean, it's, it's obviously early. But if that's the plan, if it's, it's those top three, which are, are pretty much entrenched, Velasquez maybe in that fifth kind of sixth role, Ranger Suarez, like a battle there. Like the, the real worry for me is Spencer Howard. And I like him. And, and I was excited to watch him debut last year. And I think his stuff is electric. But I mean, this is two straight years where he's had to stop pitching because of a shoulder issue. Like they, there's, there's something wrong there that has to concern them. And even if he's healthy and, and, and good next year, like let's be realistic about it. He, what, he only pitched like 70 innings the year before. And then last year he barely pitched. So I, I just wonder how much he's built up to pitch anyway, even if he's healthy and, and feeling good. So they're going to need innings somewhere. And, and I think they do need, you know, some other kind of starting pitcher. And as far as the real Muto thing, um, the, the Mets news on McCann is it's good news for the Phillies, assuming they, they do still want to bring back JT. It's crazy, Dan, because three months ago, I would have said they'll bring him back as long as someone doesn't blow them out of the water. And the way all the reports have been, the way they've talked about it, it feels like, in a sense, maybe they've turned the page. Like, no, no one thinks they're bringing him back. But I, I would hope if the Mets are not in it, that they they reconsider and, and, and try to bring him back because, you know, otherwise this team just you know doesn't really have a chance next year to, to really be good if, if he's not part of it. And, of course, there was another guy signed yesterday officially through 2021, which was Andrew Knapp. I wasn't surprised. I thought Knapp, I mean, had his best year as a Philly in 2020. But is there a possibility in your mind's eye that he's actually the opening day catcher? Yeah, there is. Um, look, if Real Muto leaves, and, you know, I'm sure there's going to be – like, it feels like people think because the Mets might not be in it that he's definitely – like, the Phillies were his only option. Someone else will be interested. I don't know who it is. You know, there will be a team that steps up to, to – pursue real Muto. So if it's not JT here, I, I could see it. I could see them going with Knapp and, and maybe pairing him like in a platoon. Um, Kurt Casale just got, you know, non-tenured by the Reds. I think he would kind of fit with Knapp as a, a platoon, like a stopgap type of thing. They could always trade for a catcher. Um, you know, there, there are, there are players. Yeah, I mean, the Dodgers have a million young catchers and Will Smith, there's their guys. So I, I, I could see them doing something like that, a d- different route to, um, you know, to fill the position of, you know, in uh, Joey Bart debuted with the Giants last year, and they have a lot of catchers with Posey coming back, and they drafted another one in the first round. I, I think that there could be a deal there. Like, I, I think they could trade for someone, but as far as opening day, yeah, I'm not going to be surprised if it's Nappy out there if Real Muto's not back. Uh, we're looking at our, you know, the Phillies potentially leaving themselves paper thin at, in the rotation if they don't go elsewhere. In my opinion, if they don't go elsewhere, the sense that I'm getting, and maybe you're getting a different sense, is that. Didi Gregorius is also not going to be back. I thought they should have offered him a qualifying offer. Don't know where you stand on that, but we're looking at the possibility that Scott Kingery is also in this opening day lineup. Yeah, which um, if yeah, I'm, I'm worried about Spencer Howard's health, I'm, I'm worried about Scott Kingery's ability. I mean, it, it, he's just been a major disappointment so far in his career. And if they're penciling him in as a, a 162 guy next year, that the offense is going to suffer because he just hasn't shown he can do that. Yeah, I, I get. I, I'm with you on the the DD thing. It's it's ridiculous they didn't give him the qualifying offer. He's like the perfect one year guy, right? He's a shortstop, so like every year you kind of worry like this is the year his defense is going to slip to where you don't really want him at shortstop anymore. He's in his early 30s, so you know a four year deal for DD is is worrisome. But year to year, like I'd overpay him for a year. Like you know maybe the Phillies think he's worth. He made 14 last year. Maybe he's worth 15 or 16, and they didn't want to give him 18.9. But, like, I think that's worth it because you don't have that long-term commitment. So, 
the deal last year was great. I would have given him the qualifying offer and, and just been like, great, one year, 18.9. We know we get a good player for one year and there's no commitment. They didn't do that. I don't think he's coming back. And, and I, I, he's going to be a big loss because he, he really was one of their more consistent and, and reliable bats in the middle of that order. I, I, I almost think that people are like going to freak out when Real Muto leaves and just nod along when, when Didi leaves. But he's a big loss, too, if he's not back on this team. I agree. And he's a one-year guy that for even more reasons than you just listed, I thought almost made too much sense. A, he's kind of been, he's not had the most consistent career at the plate. You're talking about his defense dropping off, even if his offense dropped off in 2021. And I thought he was a pleasant surprise at the plate in 2020. You're one of the best prospects in the organization. And Bryson Stott is here in 2022. Like it was the all the things lined up for them to do it. And they just kind of didn't. And I don't even feel like it's getting the recognition that it deserves just because maybe there's a lack of emphasis on what this team is doing just because they've been so consistently disappointing and there was a false sense of hope in Clintac stepping down. Yeah. And I think what that part is, is really the troubling part. Like who, who's making these calls? Like we don't know, obviously they haven't hired anyone yet to run the front office. They're, they're now in the process of doing that. And I, and I know when, when the, the offseason started and Middleton talked and McPhail talked and, and to an extent, I understood what they were saying. Like, we have some time here to figure this out because this is going to be a slow-moving offseason for the most part, right? The teams aren't going to spend money. We don't know what when the season starts next year, how many games they're going to play. We don't know if there's going to be a vaccine so people could be in the park. Like, there's a lot of unknowns. We don't know if there's a DH. So I get it. Like, the Phillies probably think we can do most of what we have to do a month from now. And, you know, if we miss out on a couple things here and that, here, whatever. But, like, Teams like the Braves, who are good for a reason, like they, they always jump the market, right? It was um, it was Cole Hamels last year that didn't work out, but the year before that it was Josh Donaldson. It's been Will Smith this it year, it's Drew Smiley. Like like smart teams do things like that. Meanwhile, the Phillies they don't even have a GM right now. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, there there was no waiting game with Charlie Morton, and also you no, and the, you know, the tender deadline was yesterday. The qualifying offers had to be submitted a few weeks back. Like those are still decisions that need to be made. They're already falling behind further than they need to as a result of no one really knowing who's at the helm. Is it McVale? Is it Middleton? More of the Locked On Phillies podcast coming right up. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, what's up, everyone? Dan Wilson here from the Locked On Phillies podcast. And before we get into part two of today's episode, I wanted to tell you about two podcasts right here on the Locked On Network that you are sure to also enjoy. First up, there's Locked On MLB. Join walking baseball encyclopedia Paul Francis Sullivan, and please call him Sully, every day on Locked On MLB for a unique look at the majors both present and past, featuring exciting guest interviews, Routine check-ins from the Locked On MLB's network team of local experts and insightful analysis of the day's biggest stories. Locked On MLB is the single best source for daily baseball talk. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, with Locked On MLB, you also have Locked On MLB prospects. If you're the type of baseball fan that can't help but get giddy over prospects, we have the podcast for you. Locked On MLB prospects, hosted by minor league play-by-play voice Aram Layton, is the only daily podcast devoted entirely to the stars of tomorrow. From team-focused farm system breakdowns, prospect rankings, and interviews with some of the brightest up-and-comers in the game, Locked On MLB Prospects is the best way to stay plugged in on the future and your favorite team. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. 
I wanted to get to the structure of this front office a little bit, because I believe when we were in the middle of the season, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you actually had begun publicly to give Clintac a little bit of credit when they went on that nine out of 10 stretch. How did you close feeling about Clintac? And do you feel that this front office is actually any different now? Uh, so my, my closing feeling, so I, I got off the Clintac bandwagon the year before, um, you know, I, I think at some point, cause like when they hired him, like it was the idea of him that I was in support of, right. They were looking for their guy, right. Every team has, has a guy in their front office kind of fits the same mold forward thinker analytics, all that. So I, like I was, I love the idea. He turned out to be the wrong guy, right idea, wrong guy. And I got off the contact train. And yeah, when they go on that run, I did give him some credit because I thought, you know, Alec Bohm coming up and, you know, hitting the way he was, was kind of the catalyst of that. And that's, you know, that's probably the, the best thing he did when he was here in this organization was, was draft that kid at number three. But at the end, it was, it was just so obvious that they just didn't have the depth that the good teams have and it's not coming. And the drafts for the most part outside of Bohm are not good. And he just wasn't good enough. It just, he wasn't good enough for a GM. And as far as now, like, I want to believe they're going to hire someone good, but it just feels like they don't know what they want. They don't know what they want to be. And my, my biggest, my biggest critique of this organization, Dan, for a while now has been, I don't think John Middleton knows what he's doing. Like, I, I, you know, I just, I don't think he knows what a good baseball organization looks like. So he like asks people, who should I hire? Like, that's why Andy McPhail's here because Andy McPhail has been in baseball forever. So he leans on him, but I don't think McPhail knows what he's doing. It's, it's, it's a really weird thing where the owner keeps getting advice from someone that might not have any clue either. It's, it's, it's uh, how you get Matt Clentak and, and now how you get a front office run by no one. And by the way, there were reports a few weeks ago that they were looking at a potential either GM or head of baseball operations in Hendry from the Yankees who worked with McPhail from the Cubs. So are they looking at someone who McVale would actually have a say on the fact that he still has another year on his contract? I just think it's a total mess. Well, it is. Um, and and the, the part that, and I, you know, I used to get mad at Andy, Andy McPhail and now I don't anymore because this is Middleton. Like uh, I remember there was a story that when they hired Klintak and, and there were some great candidates in that mix that they didn't choose, including Haim Bloom, who's now in Boston. It basically was McPhail interviewing a bunch of people. And then he brought the, his three finalists to Middleton and then Middleton from there you know, kind of took the reins, but like you're letting someone else do the work, right? Like John Middleton needs to either step up and, and really get his hands involved in picking the right person or get someone else in here to help him because McPhail's the wrong guy. And you're right. The Hendry thing is it's like an old boys club. Like let's get all the old Cubs guys back together. I mean, the, the Cubs didn't win anything for a hundred years before Theo. Like, why do we want people that were with the Cubs before Theo? It's just, it, this, it should be easier than this, right? Interview people from the Rays, the Dodgers, the Cardinals. Like, there's maybe five or six or seven teams, the Yankees, Indians, that they just churn out players every year. That Like, that's where these candidates should come from. And the fact that, you know, the Phillies for years have had Orioles and, and Angels front office guys, it's just, it's, it's crazy. I'll ask you point blank, blank right now as we sit here in early December. People are taking bets. Will Romuto be a Philly in 2021? who will be the starting shortstop in 2021, who will be the starting center fielder, which I'll get to in a second. If you had to bet right now, is there an, a major addition to this front office by opening day 2021? Uh, I do think there will be. Yeah, it seems like they're they're moving now um, in terms of, of interviews. I, I think they're going to hire someone. Now, are they going to call that person the baseball president of, ba- president of baseball operations? Is he, he going to be the new McPhail? 
is he just going to be a new client? I don't know what they're going to hire, but I, I do think they're going to hire someone. Um, I would bet yes on that. I, I would bet they hire a GM type uh, probably in the, the coming weeks or, you know, hopefully sooner than later. Moving to kind of the center field discussion that probably isn't getting the attention it deserves either just because of real Muto. Last year you had basically a platoon of Roman Quinn and another one of those draft picks who I'm ready to say they're not getting nearly the value they need to be from the seventh overall pick in the draft in Adam Hazley. Who is the starting center fielder in 2021? I've been looking at a few names, whether it be, I actually saw one article that suggested Odubel Herrera could actually back. I don't see that. Is it just the platoon of Quinn and Hazley who one guy can only hit from one side of the plate and Quinn, you know, when he gets on is great, but his OPS is going to be below 700. Or do they look like I like I saw David Dahl got non-tendered by the Rockies yesterday. They try and bring someone like him in who's not that big time contract like a Springer, but is certainly better than what you have. Yeah, I would love Dahl. I mean, he was an all-star in 2019. He can hit and he's had a lot of injury issues. That That's the kind of guy they should be looking at. And I'm not sure if he could play center on an everyday basis, but he could play left, especially if McCutcheon needs to DH more or he's just, you know, kind of phasing out of being anything close to an everyday player. So I like that idea. I don't know, though. Like, as far as opening day center field, I, I'm with you on Odubel. I don't think it's going to be him. I, I think that's one thing the Phillies seemingly, like, they have their head on straight with. They're not going to bring him back. Like, they're just done with him as a player in this franchise. But they have to upgrade center field because it just wasn't good enough. I, I think Quinn is, is a, just nothing more than a bench player, and it just drives me crazy when he's at the plate. Um, and I like Hazley. I, I don't know why they don't think he can hit lefties. Like he's never really had the chance to do it. They just have decided he can't. And it's bizarre to me because if you take a player in the top 10, you've got to think he could develop into being an everyday player and, and they seemingly already don't. So I I don't get it, but I, I, I'm with you. They need to upgrade center field and and David Dahl. Like that's like, that's the frustrating part. If they had a GM right now who, who was running this thing, maybe they'd be on the phone. Like the Dodgers, traded for and, and signed uh, Corey Canebel last night, right? The reliever from the Brewers who was a non-tendered like that'd be it. Like boom, you see a guy, he's cut, go get him. And you know, probably by the time the Phillies wake up on this, someone smart's going to sign David Dahl. I wanted to just from an overall baseball sense, one thing like obviously there's a lot of uncertainty in 2020 that cannot be controlled. How in, you mentioned, you know, someone like Dahl or McCutcheon as signing like that being affected by a designated hitter in the National League, also JT Real Muto. How insane is it to you that we literally still don't even know that? Oh, it's nuts. And, and I think it's, it's, it's even more nuts than it would have typically been because all these teams had it last year. So, so they just had a season, a short season, but they just had a season where it was part of the repertoire, right? It was part of how they built their team, their lineup. And now they might have to revert. I, I almost think it's even it's it's crazy. Like it's crazy for all these players who don't like Marcelo Zuna, right? Cause he's basically become a DH. He doesn't know if he can get a job, how much money he can get. And it's, it's really the craziest for the NL teams because they just had this thing. And I think logic says there's going to be a DH again. I, I, I can't imagine they have it. And then it goes away. Like it feels like once you do it, you stay with it. So I think they're going to have it, but like if you're a front office, like the giants, right? Uh, there was a rumor they're interested in, you know, Zuna. Like you can't pull the trigger on that. You can't you can't sign the guy. And then you know, two weeks later, like, oh, never mind, no DH. And then you've got this guy that can't play the field and and you you know paid him 40 million or whatever. It's it's ridiculous. 
No, I think it's insane that they've essentially allowed the 2021 season. I mean, teams are now making moves for the 2021 season that they literally don't know. I agree with you. It almost makes, again, too much sense. You had this thing in 2020. It seems like the perfect excuse to just bring it to both leagues. You've been talking about it for years. Like, why are they even talking about going back? In terms of how much you would spend, uh, you, you know, you're running the Phillies right now. JT Muto, you talked about it with Gregorius. You don't know when defense for guys like shortstops are about to tail off. Someone like Romuto, he's talking, trying to get four or five, maybe six years. They don't know exactly where the money's going to be. We don't know what the designated hitter rule is going to be. How much, like, what's the maximum check you're signing if you're you and you're a Major League Baseball owner and not, you know, cheap John Middleton? Yeah, well, the years worries me more than the money. Uh, like, if I don't care about John Middleton's money. I would spend it and I would go over the tax, you know, to, to win. But the years worry me. I, I am... I'm not going to kill the Phillies if he gets, you know, six years, 150 from the Mets or, you know, some mystery team we're not thinking about right now. And they balk at that because, I mean, the history of catchers that when they reach this age, like to stay productive past 32, 33, it's just, it's a very small list. And I know he's a great athlete and that gives people some feeling like, oh, maybe he could do it. And maybe, maybe he can, but he also had a, you know, some, pretty interesting and weird. And I'd say worrisome injuries two years in a row, two years ago it was the knee to end the season. And then this past year was the hip that he tried to play through and kind of gut it out, which you appreciate. But now we're talking about knee hip. He plays a lot of games, a lot of innings. I, I'm worried about it. And, and the other thing, Dan, like people bring up Mike Piazza, right? Mike Piazza hit for a while and, and DH was kind of part of the, the realm as he got really old, but, JT doesn't hit like Mike Piazza. JT is a good hitter for a catcher. And, you know, you get 25 homers and an 825 OPS. It's good. But like Mike Piazza was, was knocking 360 with, with a thousand OPS. There's a difference there. So yeah, four years is, is the max I'd go. And, you know, if he wants to break the record, uh, Joe Maurer's record for average annual salary and, you know, whatever, let's bump it to hundred million, right? Four years, a hundred million. He has the record. Like I, I'm fine with that, but, once they get into year five, year six, it just it feels like that's going to end up as a problem for whoever signs it. That'll do it for part one of my conversation with Joe Giglio. Stay tuned for part two.